Welcome to the Workforce One Podcast, brought to you by Advanced Minnesota, the customized training and continuing education arm of the colleges of the Northeast Higher Education District, Northwest Technical College, and Bemidji State University. This is a podcast all about workforce and economic development in Greater Minnesota. We hope to use it as a platform to promote our own workforce training that we provide on behalf of our colleges and universities. But also, we want to bring on guests and engage in conversations that will highlight regional companies and individual leaders that help drive the economy of our region. So, without any further ado, Workforce One is about to take off. All right. Welcome to the Workforce One podcast uh, brought to you by Advanced Minnesota and the Colleges of the Northeast Higher Education District, Northwest Technical College and Bemidji State University. Um, today, my guest on the podcast is Bud Stone, who is the uh, president of the Grand Rapids Area Chamber of Commerce. So thanks for being here, Bud. Uh, Trent, thanks for uh, having me. It's always a pleasure to uh to chat about the chamber and uh, you know a lot of people when you say chamber of commerce uh, and you said you know what a chamber does and they say uh, no not really and so it's always fun for me to be able to talk a little bit about that. That's a that's a perfect segue because that's why that's exactly why we're here so tell me a little bit about uh, first off the broader Grand Rapids community and then tell us tell us a little bit about the chamber of commerce. Well, I think Grand Rapids is really unique as far as Iron Range communities go in that uh, there has been a tendency over the past few years for communities to try to pool resources, if you will, to partner better together. And, and the result of that in some cases has, has been, well, if we've got X, Y, Z doing these things, why can't we put them all under the same umbrella? And in some communities that works really, really good. In some communities, there are better options and Grand Rapids is one of those. The thing that makes Grand Rapids unique and helps it to stand apart from other communities is that we have figured out that a multi-cylinder car runs a whole lot smoother than a car with one big piston. By that, I mean, there's the Chamber of Commerce. Chamber of Commerce's job is to advocate for business. We're a 501c6 organization, and that's our job. Itasca Development Corporation is a 501c3. Their job is business expansion, business retention, business recruitment. They're an economic development agency. Visit Grand Rapids is the destination marketing organization for our area. Their job is to try to figure out ways to get people interested enough in Grand Rapids from 50 miles away or further to come and spend time here on vacation. City of Grand Rapids does city stuff. They take care of the infrastructure within the city. County, Itasca County Commissioners, they get to do county stuff. So when you start to take a look at the cylinders that exist out there today and we're all good at what we do why would you ever try to put them under one leadership group way better off to have it this way and we have figured out a way to do that to have economic development infrastructure 
and tourism and government all work together for the same purpose at the end, which for all of us is building <clears throat> healthy businesses and healthy communities. That's what we do. Out here through the Blandon Foundation, Northland Foundation, United Way, we're all in the same game. We're all here to build healthy communities and healthy businesses. And as long as we all understand that and we're willing to drop whatever we're doing today to help somebody else with their project tomorrow, then it all works really, really well. So if you ask my wife, what does your husband do? She'll say he works for the Chamber of Commerce. And to say, well, what does he do though? And she'll say, well, he goes to a lot of meetings. Yeah. That's what I do. I go to a lot of meetings. You know, meetings are where decisions are made. Meetings are where ideas pop up. Meetings are where people build relationships to get to know each other. Meetings are where they happen. Our job at the Chamber of Commerce is to be an advocate for business. Being an advocate for business means that I need to be in as many places as I can to influence the decisions that are being made so that they have a positive effect on the business community. That's my job. That's called advocacy. So the more meetings I go at, the more tables that I set at, the more opportunities I have to advocate for business. One of the unique things that's happened with uh, with the uh, COVID epidemic that we're experiencing right now is that my day used to be taken up going to meetings and driving my truck to get there. Now I don't have to drive my truck to get there anymore. I can do them virtually. We've learned to communicate. We've learned to share. We've learned to make those decisions a lot simpler because they're over the airways. Trent, I, I probably have, have expanded by at least one third, if not more, the number of tables that I can set at as an advocate for business simply because I can do it electronically. Yeah. So adjusting, being, being flexible, being nimble in, in, a, in a business like I'm in, in the chamber business, there are some good things that have come out of this as well, and communication and expertise is one of them. Yeah. One of your, um, so a couple things, full disclosure, I'm on the Grand Rapids Area Chamber of Commerce Board, and, and Bud was talking a little bit about the flexibility of all this. He and I are sitting on a Zoom right now, um, socially distanced as the maximum amount you could possibly be sitting on a Zoom. And so we just had a board meeting, and that was all via Zoom as well. Can you talk talk a little bit about your membership? So I think you're I think you're right. I think we have learned how to how to do this a little bit more effectively. But talk to me a little bit about your um, your membership and the sectors that your membership represents. What are who are the biggest employers in your in your chamber? Obviously the UPM Blandin and there's uh, Grand Itasca and things like that. But can you talk a little bit about that sector uh, diversification? Sure, we have. Uh... On any given day, between 450 and 470 uh, dues-paying members of our Chamber of Commerce, which is huge for a chamber in the middle of nowhere in northern Minnesota. Um, we don't consider ourselves a local Chamber of Commerce, but more of a regional Chamber of Commerce. We 
uh, do our job locally, and we do our job regionally, and then we do our job statewide. I sit on some committees for the Minnesota Chamber, and I sit on committees for the United States Chamber on Washington, D.C. My job in Washington is to represent rural chamber of commerces in America, and we take that very seriously. As far as our membership makeup, I would say probably 75%, if not 80%, let's say 75% of our members are small businesses and nonprofits. They uh, probably have between, I don't know, six and 30 people employed at each of those businesses. Uh, we have our pillars. Those are our big players of the Chamber of Commerce. We have the, the mining industry, the paper pulp industry, the power industries. All, all those are all members of our Chamber of Commerce. So our, our membership is extremely diverse, which creates its own challenges in that what may be important to one sector of our Chamber membership may not be quite as important as somebody else to somebody else so that is always a challenge trying to figure out you know how do we do that so i guess what we we have done as the chamber of commerce is back to the advocacy pieces to remember that our, what our mission statement is our mission statement is to advocate for a business environment in which our members can prosper uh, that's critical when we understand what that means because we do not have control over anything. We're not the business cops. We are simply an advocate for a business environment in which our members can prosper. It's the only thing that we can have an influence over is the environment that we exist in. And that's why it's so critical to be at these tables, to be involved in the decision-making process so that we continually build that environment that allows our members to prosper. When I say our members to prosper, that's the mission statement of the chamber. But the great part about that is, is whether you're a member of my chamber of commerce or not, you're gonna benefit from the work that we do. Again, it goes back to the fact that our job is to advocate for business, but our outcomes are different. Our mission is to advocate for business. Our vision is to be the voice of business. But our outcomes are building healthy communities and healthy businesses that we all need to support the quality way of life that we have in northeastern Minnesota. Critically important. If we're not successful, if we're not successful in building those healthy communities and healthy businesses, then there is no room for my members' businesses or anybody else's businesses at the top. There's no government. There's no school districts. There's no gas stations. There's no grocery stores. There's no churches. We all have to be conscious of the fact that regardless of who you are or what you're doing, for first and foremost, we want to make sure we're advocates for healthy communities and healthy businesses. Mm -hmm. So speaking of healthy businesses and healthy communities, COVID-19 has had a huge impact on what, the work that you do. Can you talk a little bit about how the challenges that your members have faced. You talked a little bit about the, you know, the positives, the silver lining of how we do business and how we work together and how efficient we're becoming with Zoom. But talk a little bit about the challenges that your membership has faced specifically in your region and with your, with your community. 
Uh, well, I think that, uh, you know, there's winners and losers in all games. And uh, COVID is no different. There were businesses that flourished uh, during COVID because they happen to be positioned uh, to take advantage of the restrictions that were put on when the governor uh, started firing out executive orders. Uh, our, uh, our, our members that were affected the most adversely were in the uh, entertainment, tourism, uh, type businesses, restaurants, lodging properties, those types of businesses were most adversely affected because they had the most stringent guidelines of anybody. On the other hand, uh, there were businesses that that were considered critical that uh, didn't have that. Uh, one of the things that happened there was uh, there was a lot of imbalance competition between businesses that either provided services or sold similar products. One of those businesses was considered a critical business. Another business may not have been critical and working under some more stringent guidelines and regulations, although they may have sold the same product, just in different places by different people. So there, there were, again, there were winners and losers. Um, the uh, stimulus packages that came down the road, I can tell you, Atasca Development Corporation did yeoman's work doing working with that stuff. The county of Itasca, uh, I have nothing but praise for the commissioners. There were counties much bigger than ours that got way more money that didn't adhere to the reason that they got it, which was to help the business community. Our commissioners, Itasca, never hesitated never hesitated one bit to develop programs to shore up our business community during this nasty pandemic time. They did just great work. And uh, because Itasca Development Corporation is funded by Itasca County and the Blanding Foundation, they were in a position to put staff on that could take and develop the programs for the funding mechanisms for the loans the relationship with the SPDC and Small Business Development Commission. And those types of relationships really paid big, big dividends in that we had people that had answers to questions. So the chamber's job regarding that would be people would ask us, well, what do I do now? And I said, well, I can't tell you. I said, but I know who to talk to. And we were able to refer them to those, those people that had the expertise to help them to filed for those loans, those applications, those grants to uh, help keep them in business. So winners and losers, yeah. Uh, but I think um, whether you were in the winner's box or the loser's box, there were resources available to at least cushion the blow in, in a lot of cases. And, and uh, Itasca County, uh, has actually weathered the storm uh, very well, in my eyes. I think that uh, we want to make sure that um, that we never lose sight of the fact that 
shopping in your neighbor's store is way better than pushing a button online. You know, the, uh, the Chamber, uh, the Downtown Business Association, Itasca Development Corporation, City of Grand Rapids County, again, all together partnered to make sure that, that we spent money on advertising, on radio, on in the newspaper and word of mouth and put it on Facebook. Hey, it's critical right now that you support your neighbors, that you support your local businesses. They need to be there for you. We have to keep in mind that sometimes we forget the fact that when your little girl gets a cold and you need some medicine on Sunday afternoon, you expect your local drugstore to be open. If you have that expectation, then you better be buying things from them the other six days of the week to make sure that they stay in business. And I think sometimes we start to lose that focus a little bit. You know, if, you're, if your plumbing starts leaking on Saturday afternoon, you're going to look for a local guy that can come over there and fix that for you. So make sure you're buying your, your water heater from him. You know, if, yeah, I'm just saying that those local businesses need uh, our attention seven days a week, mm-hmm. not just when we feel conveniently needing them. I think it's critical that we don't forget that. Yeah, that's a good point. And and so, what's the what does the economic outlook uh, for your service area look like over the next few years? You know, are there any projects that stand out to you as really really important as you guys move forward? I know, you know, I saw. I saw the little clip uh, on the news of, of ASV and uh, I happen to have a relative who works at ASV and HR and Northland Machine. We do some, some work with them as well. Both those organizations talked about uh, they're looking for people and they're looking to grow. And so what is the, what is the outlook look uh, for, for your membership and you guys over there? Well, you know, I, I chair the uh, Workforce Development Board for the state of Minnesota for Northeastern Minnesota. And uh, we have for, for many years talked about the fact that we're losing population in Northeast Minnesota. And consequently, we're losing workforce. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I hate the term critical mass, but that's where we are right now. Uh, you can read all of the um, unemployment numbers that you want to and all the people that are out of work. And when people tell me that, I say, would you please put them on a bus and send them here? Because I can use them. Uh, getting people into the trades is so critical right now and to uh, to replace the people that are leaving the trades. You know, I mean, used to be uh, if you needed a window replaced or some work done on your home, you could put it out on bids and you had four, five, six different companies that were interested in that job. And today, if you can get on somebody's waiting list to get that job done, you're lucky. It's changed immensely uh, as far as our, our first job employers, you know, our, 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 our Walmarts, our Targets, our Subways, our McDonald's. There isn't one of them right now that isn't hiring people at a good wage, almost double the wage that we were paying seven years ago, you know, to, to get people to work. Uh, every place that you look at, in the Atasca area, it just about has a sign out front that says, work, want, workers wanted, help wanted, we're hiring today. 
you know, so I think that, I think there's opportunity out there for both ends of the spectrum. Uh, we're involved in uh, really trying to make sure that, that we are repopulating Northeastern Minnesota right now. It's one of our major projects is we are on the uh, edge of losing legislative representation right now because of our declining population. So we need to make sure that we're doing all we can to bring people into the workforce, to bring them into the jobs that exist up here that were screaming bloody murder to find people to fill. Um, the mines are, uh, are, are working, the mines are expanding. We've got potentially uh, in the uh, precious metal mining sector, uh, new mines opening up. Uh, we've got a new pipeline that's uh, that's going through our area that's that needs workers. Uh, all these people need places to stay. They need people to wash their clothes. They need people. They need food to eat. There's a, a lot of opportunity out there in our area right now. So, economic outlook for for uh, northeastern Minnesota, in my mind, is as good as it can be right now with the with the pandemic in, in place. I think that, uh, again, trying to replace people that used to live here is, is very difficult. You know, I mean, uh, our educators now are, are working with, uh, working with uh, our students to make sure that there are options available to them that, that uh, give them the opportunity to work in some of the uh, less known occupations in the trades. For many, many years, we said, well, we, we don't have any jobs in Northeastern Minnesota. You know, well, we do. We've got tons of them. Uh, there's a website that everybody can go to and take a look and, and see what's out there, 218 Trades. 218 Trades is a website that was developed specifically for young people and, and uh, older people alike, those people that maybe want a career change, maybe want to take a look at getting into the trades. The trades is, a, is, is having a struggle finding people. And I think it's critical that, uh, that we remember that we've got a, a, an opportunity there to, uh, to find employment and make good money and one of the better kept secrets is we've got the training facilities up there. We've got colleges and we've got all of the other things that you're involved in, you know, that, uh, that can give people the education and the skill sets needed to fill that gap. Yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. And um, so to that end, is there anything off the tip of, off the tip of your tongue that you, um, how can, what I'm trying to say is how can our colleges be more responsive to some of this stuff? Is there anything that you've observed? Obviously, you know, you've been a partner of ours for a while and you're, you're on the same team as us, but how, is there anything that we can do to, to get better at what we, what we're, we're supposed to be providing for business and industry? You know, I, I guess I don't know enough about the inner workings to know. I know that uh, it's changes sometimes in, in uh, services that are provided take time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, business and government don't work at the same speed. 
you know, we know that. I mean, as business people, when we make a decision that we're going to go do this or do that, we don't have to get anybody's okay. We just go do it. Yeah. Make sure it happens. Education is an entirely different game. You know, I mean, it's, uh, we'd like to go do this. Well, let's do a study. And then, then we get to bring these people in. Well, what about those people? In? By the time somebody has a great idea, by the time that it gets put into gear, the opportunity, the window, in many cases, is closed. Yeah. So if I was going to say anything, it would be to give our educational institutions and the people that run it more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Let them make some doggone decisions when the decisions need to be made and let's not push it off to make it a four-year project because four years from now the opportunity will be gone you know and it's no different than if I need to hire somebody to change tires for me this afternoon it's not going to do me any good to know that I can get it done in six months yeah I'll go buy the doggone tires somewhere else you know, so I think uh, being more nimble, having, uh, and, and this is not criticizing the institutions, that's criticizing the system. Mm-hmm. Be more nimble, find ways to, to let our educators be more flexible to be able to make their decisions based on, based on local needs. I think that's so critical. And, and it's, uh, when you get into government, it's just sometimes it's just a, it's an anchor dragon project. Man. <laughs> you know, yeah, just, for sure. <laughs> so, for sure. So. I think they do a great job. I mean, I've been witness to some really, really great projects that uh, that our colleges have done or high schools have done, mm-hmm. you know, with career pathways and some of that stuff. But you have to understand, our, some of this stuff dates back 20 years. So. Yeah. 20 years that we recognized there's a problem and said we need to fix this and it's taken that long and, and to put some of these programs in place. So I think that uh, figuring out a way to get funding, more flexible, make some decisions, make things work at a more rapid pace, I think we would have uh, better success. That's, that's perfect. That's definitely good advice. Nimble and speed. Obviously, you can't go wrong with those two things. Um, so tell me, tell me a little bit, you know, during each one of these podcasts, uh, especially when I've inter- interacted with those, some leaders in our communities, um, I, I'm curious about your journey and your story. And I, I, I'm realizing that I've never heard your full story before. I know, I know Bud, as, a, as you as an elder statesman of... Uh, you know, economic development and workforce development in our region, but I don't exactly know how you got to be uh, Bud Stone, president of the of the chamber. So, can you talk a little bit about your um, how you got to to this point? Yeah, it's a great story, actually. <laughs> I love to hear it. <laughs> uh, born in New York, uh, my family moved to Southern Michigan when I was about a year old, and uh, my father worked for was known as Kaiser Jeep Corporation at that point in time. They built uh, the Willie's Jeep that you see in the Army shows and Kaiser Frazier cars and all that kind of stuff. And I went to high school down there and lived in Southern Michigan until I was about 18 years old. 
uh, which time my parents sent me to college at Northern Michigan University with Northern Michigan College in Marquette uh, at that point in time. And uh, I always, I was always kind of a woods rat when I was a kid, kid growing up running through the cornfields and working on the agricultural farms and catching trout in the local polluted streams that I swam in as a child in Southern Michigan. But my heart was always in the woods. It was always, you know, I wish I could, could uh, my dream was to have a red Jeep and live in a house on a lake someplace north. That's all I ever really knew. You know, I, I trapped and I hunted and I fished and I did all those things that I wanted to when I was a kid. So when they sent me to college in Upper Michigan, I thought that was pretty cool. I really liked that. I didn't know what 20 below zero was, but I found out real damn quick. And um, eventually, um, I didn't finish college. I, I, I took a year off. And I was just kind of not doing much at all. And a friend of mine who I grew, who I went to college with called me up on the telephone one day. And he said, what are you doing? I said, nothing. He said, well, he said, why don't you come on up to Duluth? I got a job as a, as a cub reporter for the Herald, or the sports department at the Duluth paper. So I said, okay, well, in those days, Trent, we didn't have cars, we didn't have transportation, we didn't have money, so we hitchhiked everywhere we went. It was nothing. It was eight, 17, 18 years old, we hitchhiked all over the stinking countryside. And I hitchhiked back and forth to Marquette to Detroit a couple of different times. So I just packed up my stuff and I hitchhiked up to Duluth. And uh, when I got there, I found the, my buddy Steve, and he had a little apartment that he shared with me. And, and uh, so I started looking around for a job, and I took a job at a print shop, Doris Larson's letter shop. And uh, I don't remember what it was, a dollar, 10 cents an hour, I think, in those days. And, and, uh, and I also took another job at the North Shore Theater, taking tickets. And I can tell you that I was taking tickets at the North Shore Theater in Duluth when Lawrence of Arabia was a brand new movie. So that was a little while ago. Yeah. And uh, my stint in Duluth, uh, I, uh, I enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. You know, I, I was just poor as a church mouse, but that's okay. But eventually, I uh, met a girl there who was from Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Her name was Carol, and Carol and I got along pretty good. And when it came time for me to move back to Southern Michigan, which I thought I was always going to live there forever and ever, I uh, hated to leave her in Duluth. And, uh, but I hitchhiked back home and got a job there at the Ford plant building cars. That's what everybody did when they were 19 years old. Back. They either went to Vietnam or or you married your sweetheart and you worked at the Ford plant, pretty much, you know. So anyway, I was uh, working at the Ford plant and Carol came down to visit and my mother and her got along really, really good. And so they devised this plan to uh, encapsulate me and it worked out pretty well. So my mother got Carol a job down in Southern Michigan in my apartment. And so Carol moved down there and my days of running around were pretty short after that. And eventually, Carol and I got married and uh, had one child in Southern Michigan. And then uh, she came to me one day when she was pregnant with our second child and said, you know, I really miss Grand Rapids, Minnesota. And 
I'd like to go back. And I said, well, gee, you know, I, this is where my job is. And, you know, this is where I was raised. And she said, well, you're not listening to me. She says, I'm going back to Grand Rapids and you can come along if you want to. And I said, okay. So I loaded up my 1965 Fairlings Ford Cooper, the 289 four barrel, the four speed transmission, and put the U Haul trailer to it. My little baby boy and my pregnant wife and my black Labrador dog did 150 bucks in my pocket and headed to Grand Rapids, Minnesota. So that's how I got to Grand Rapids. And I took a job working uh, when I found one. I worked for Lake State's Tree Service and I worked in the woods and I drove wells for a living. And I was working in the local hardware store. And uh, actually, I saw a uh, sign on the parts counter one day when I was in there to pick up a part, a car part for one of my buddies that said salesman wine. And I asked the guy behind the desk, I said, who do I see about that salesman's job? He said, this, that lady around the corner. That lady around the corner, her name was Lois Gildermeister. And they owned Gildermeister Motors, which was the Ford dealership that used to sit where the Burger King restaurant is today. And I went to work for Lois Gildermeister selling cars on a dirt lot when I was 23 years old. And uh, had a conversation with myself after I'd been in that business for three or four years that either I was going to be looking for another job or I was going to make a career out of that. And I promised myself I was going to be the best car salesman in Minnesota. And that was my goal. And I never was the best car salesman in Minnesota, but I was in the top 55 times. So I made a career out of the car business and eventually went from selling cars to managing dealerships. And I uh, helped Bob Monavon run Monavon Motors for a few years. And I helped Tom Cajo when he owned Lakewood's Chrysler uh, for four years. And then one day when I was around 50 years old, I decided I'd had enough of the car business. I wanted to do something else. And so I quit. And uh, eventually uh, I took a job with uh, Zenith Kramer Waste Disposal, which now is waste management. Mm -hmm. And I went to work for them uh, to handle their commercial accounts. And as I was doing that, I developed a relationship with the people at the Chamber of Commerce. I worked in their membership committee and volunteered on other projects and uh, continued down the way. Four years into my career with waste management, I was on a search committee looking for an executive uh, to fill an empty position here at the Chamber of Commerce. And uh, a gentleman named Jack Holkinen was on that committee, Bonnie Hendrickson, Len Salmola. I can't remember all the rest of them that were on the search committee along with me. And we weren't having very good luck finding somebody with the local connections that had a passion for the community. And Jack asked me, he said, why don't you do it? And I said, you know, because I'm playing golf every day at about 3.30 and waste management is pretty, pretty good. And I don't know if I need that. He said, well, think about it. So I went and I got a key the building and I came down here on a Saturday afternoon and I sat in this chair and I thought you know bud you've been a car salesman you've been a car dealer manager you've worked for waste management said what could you do would be really impactful that would be important to you as a person and he 
better than running the Chamber of Commerce. And so I thought about that and I thought, you know, I probably I'm going to have this one opportunity in my life to really do something unique. And so I went back to him and I said, fine. I said, today your Chamber of Commerce is what we call in our industry flower pot chamber. And I came more concerned with the parades and the good old boys stuff and kind of the things that they did. And I said, you know, my association with the Chamber for the past few years is I think that we could do a lot more and have a lot bigger impact for our business community. I said, this in my mind is a 10 year project. And I said, I will give you 10 years of my life if you want to hire me to do this. And that was 21 years <laughs> ago. So specifically, I took the job at the Chamber of Commerce because I wanted to do something that was good for our businesses, that had an impact on our community, that helped us maintain the quality of life that we did. And I've never been sorry. And over the past 20 years, we moved our chamber from the old flower pot chamber of old to one of the most respected public policy chambers in the state of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And I'm extremely proud of that. I haven't done this alone. I've got people that have served on my committees, hundreds of them. We have eight committees at the Chamber of Commerce that engage 200 people every day doing something that matches up with the committee's mission statement. I've had 20 board of directors that have served with me in different capacities. We've only recycled one or two. The rest of them have come from people that work and live in our communities and that are members of our Chamber of Commerce and serve on our committees. I can tell you right now that the helm of the Chamber of Commerce is a phenomenal experience for anybody who has an opportunity to do that. As long as you've got really, really good leadership people to help you a lot, you can't do it alone. This is not a one-man show. Mm -hmm. It's an organization made up of a lot of people that care an awful lot about their community and about their neighbors and about people that they work with and about their businesses. And it's been a real pleasure for me. So I hope that answers your question as to where did I come from and how did I get here? Yeah, I mean, that was perfect. That's a great story. I appreciate all that information. Um, and I have to say, I think it's pretty well known that, that your chamber and the work that you've done has been a, has been a success and you know your chamber is really high, highly regarded as one of the um, more well-run chambers around the region um, so you know i i just can't say enough about that because everybody that i talk to you know it's kind of a gold standard of, of chambers of commerce especially in you know greater minnesota so um, i can't thank you enough for for all of that um I think that's a great place to end our podcast, to be honest with you. I don't know what to, what to add after that, but thanks. Thanks a lot, bud, for, for being on. And uh, for those of you that are um, looking to reach out to bud, uh, bud, why don't you give them your, your contact information, um, your website, and they can get a hold of you and, and touch base. Well, I just kind of like to leave you with one other thought, you know, our chamber has done an awful lot of work with, with young people, developing mm -hmm. programs that 
help them transition, it helped them understand, you know, the values and what's important to them. And, and you know, I think that we all go through certain stages in our life, but the one that seems to always be there, always, not care how old or how old you get to be, is that most of us go through life in what we call the 90-10 rule. Mm-hmm. And that's 90% what's happening to me today and 10% what I'm going to do about it. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to younger people, especially, I say, no, I get that. So, but you need to look at it differently. I said, you need to do the 90-10 rule, but it's got to be more 10% what's going on with you and 90% what you're going to do. The only thing that you have control over in your life is your attitude. Everything else is going to happen. It's how you deal with what happens that's important. So I think that whether we have pandemics, presidential elections, all the rest of the things that happen, I think that if we go through life with a positive attitude and look for the good and pay more attention to what am I doing today to make things better tomorrow rather than concentrating on the negative things that are happening today, I think it's important for people to know that. So I'm a big pep talk guy when it comes to positive attitude. If you need me to help you along, all I do is give me a call. You get me at uh, 218-326-6619. Or if you want to know more about our Chamber of Commerce and the committees, uh, you can look us up at uh, grandmn.com. That's awesome. Thanks a lot, bud. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time and your story and, and sharing those thoughts. We, we definitely uh, value you being in our region. So thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, John. Thank you for listening to the Workforce One podcast. For more information about our work or to get in contact with any of our guests, please reach out to us via our website at www.advancedmn.org. That's www.advancedmn.org.